Turn with me now, please, to the passage we read in the Scriptures. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, and reading verse 18. I can read verse 17 as well. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. And he said, Bring them here to me. Those who have been to what's normally called the Holy Land and Holy Land visits, many of them remark on how they've discovered just by being there and going from place to place the distance that Jesus walked during his ministry on earth. The sheer extent of that distance that he packed into these years that he ministered here on earth. And as you come here to John uh, to Matthew chapter 14 or whether you go to uh, John's gospel along with the other three uh, that's something that you find very obvious from uh, these uh, gospels but it's only as you go to the likes of the land itself that you realize just what an extent he walked and also as you come from this to this passage you can see um, how much stress the Lord was under if we use that modern description, because he found it virtually impossible, almost impossible, to take time out to rest. Here we find him, having gone across uh, in a boat to, uh, to a desolate place by himself, but immediately the crowds heard it and they followed him on foot from the towns, so when he came ashore there was already a great crowd there. He couldn't find even much time to take rest, as he himself needed rest. Itself is an interesting, if not remarkable, thing that the Son of God required to rest. Of course, that's the Son of God in our human nature, tired in terms of his life in our human nature and requiring rest. Well, here he couldn't get that rest that he had gone to get, and the same is true at other times also. So we think our lives are full of stress. They're nothing whatsoever compared to the stress and the lack of rest and the non-availability of rest that was true of the Lord in his journeys. And that itself should really be a reminder to us that even that uh, is part of his sufferings, part of what he put himself through, though by no, no means the greatest part, but nevertheless it's a very valid part of the suffering, of what he put himself through in order to be the redeemer of his people. Now this miracle... The miracle of feeding the 5,000, you find it mentioned in all four Gospels. And that's an interesting and significant feature itself. Because that tells us that it came to be hugely significant for the early church, for the apostolic church, as the Bible came to be completed, as we now have it. This was something hugely significant for the church, so that all four versions of the Gospels have a record of this feeding of the 5,000. John deals with it in his own way, slightly differently to the way the other three Gospels, as most of the time he does anyway. But it shows that this was particularly important to them to actually show something of the identity of Christ, something of who he was, something of what he claimed himself to be. And here was something that projected who is Jesus what is he in the world to do? What is particularly remarkable about him? 
Why is he here? What is he doing by this miracle? And I want to just look at that this evening as uh, we prepare for the Lord's Supper because there are a number of features here that will help us prepare our minds and our hearts to come to remember again the Lord's death. And I'm not taking this distribution of uh, the uh, food that was blessed by Jesus as uh, symbolic of the Lord's Supper. That's not, I think, how we should take the passage. Though in principle, of course, there's the element of feeding by the power of Jesus, which is something you obviously find attached to the word and to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper too. I'm taking it in terms of how the Lord here came uh, to show his compassion, first of all, and we'll look at that word fairly closely, as you find it earlier in the passage, he had compassion on them there in verse 14. So that's the first point, Christ's compassion engaged Something engaged his compassion. It drew his mind so that compassion flowed out of him. And secondly, we'll see Christ's compassion in action. In verse 18 or verses 17 and 18 especially, he himself deliberately and in a very organized and purposeful way said to the disciples, look, there's no need for the crowd to go home. They had come, as we'll see, to say, how can we possibly feed this crowd you're telling us to feed them, how can we possibly feed them with this little fish, this little food that we've got, the fish and the five loaves? And he said, bring them here to me. They had to take the little that they had, place it in the hands of Jesus, and find to their astonishment that he multiplied it so as to feed that vast crowd now that has application to yourself and myself, as I hope we'll see tonight, that all the smallness that we associate with ourselves that sometimes keeps us back from serving the Lord. Jesus is saying, you bring that to me. You put that in my hands and see what I can do with it, whatever you can or cannot. That's really one of the things that enters into the passage. So let's look at these two, um, under these two headings. First of all, Christ's company engaged. Now Mark gives us some additional details. As you go to Mark's Gospel, you'll find that in Mark chapter 8, the same incident there, but he gives us, as you find in the Gospels anyway, it's a, um, in many ways it's a, a kaleidoscopic presentation. You take the four Gospels together and they give you uh, the complete picture, if you like, that the Bible is giving us. Chapter 8 of Mark and verse 34, he called the crowd and said, um, uh, chapter 8 and verse 34 of Mark. Sorry, I think I've got the wrong reference there, but it's, uh, I think it should be chapter 9 maybe. In any case, Mark is telling us, uh, Mark is telling us that he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. That's what uh, that's the point that, that Mark was making, that he's adding to Matthew's version of it. Uh, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Now, if you think naturally or ordinarily of sheep without a shepherd, just imagine some sheep that have escaped somewhere, maybe they've been out in the moors uh, and uh, haven't been gathered in at the end of that period with the rest when they're taken back to the croft or back to wherever they're going to, and they've been left out there, and then months and months afterwards, maybe even years afterwards, they're discovered they've not been tended by a shepherd, they've not been cared for. What do they look like? What are they like? They're filthy, they're diseased, their wool has never been clipped all, these, all that time. 
they're really a sorry mess. And Jesus, as he looked out at that vast crowd, he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, yes, they were physically in need of food, but he went deeper than that. He saw into their souls. He saw into their spiritual need. He saw how they were without being saved, without being gathered by a Savior, without having a shepherd over them to tend to their spiritual and moral needs. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them. That's what drew his compassion. That's what drew his compassion towards them. And if you're coming to the Lord's table, as most of you are, God willing, tomorrow, having been there before, doesn't matter, even if you're there for the first time, this is something that is in your experience, isn't it? When you're conscious of the fact, as we were singing in the psalmist, how grateful he was that the Lord heard his cry in the grip of death, bedraggled, filthy in our own sins. And yet here the shepherd came and he had compassion. He saw as no one else could. He saw as no one else could. Who else was going to look at us the way that Jesus looked at us? Who else was going to look into our plight the way he was able to measure our plight? Who could see into the filth of our souls the way he looked into the filth of our souls? That's what drew his compassion. And it's an amazing thing for you and for me as you come to approach another Lord's table that the compassion of the Son of God was drawn towards you and I in our lost condition. That you and I in that condition, if you like, were the moving cause of drawing the compassion of Jesus. We didn't create his compassion, but we drew it out from him as he had pity on us, as he saw us as sheep without a shepherd. He saw as no one else could. But secondly, he reacted as no one else would. Because this word compassion, as used here in in Matthew, in verse 8, is a very deep Uh, And a very comprehensive word. It actually literally uh, means that he was moved inwardly. The older translation has, he was moved with compassion. And that's a very good way of putting it because there is an inner movement of the soul of Jesus, of the mind of Jesus, in this uh, reference to having compassion on the crowd. It wasn't just a formality. It wasn't just something that flicked through his mind without really moving him inwardly. He was moved with compassion. It's a word that is used literally sometimes of of our bodies as the inward motions that you have within your bowels. That's why the old old, um, translations would would say that uh, God's bowels were moved with pity and compassion for his people. It's a way of using what is physical in order to describe what is spiritual. That inner motion, movement of the heart, of the soul, that's what's in this word. He was moved with compassion. He was stirred at the side. Now just think of what's happening. Here was a crowd of people who had followed him. Here were people that weren't really wanting to give him any rest whatsoever, that wouldn't let him out of their sight. And instead of being irritated and saying something like, please, could you not just give me some space for an hour or two? He was moved with compassion to them. He was moved with that inner stirring of his compassion towards them. 
stirred emotionally in himself. And isn't that wonderful for yourself as you come to do this in remembrance of him in the Lord's Supper? That's what you're doing. You're remembering his death, but you're remembering all that he packed into his life upwards to his death and his death itself. He was moved with compassion for you. His very inner being was stirred as he saw you as one of those sheep without a shepherd. And you come, God willing, to the Lord's table tomorrow and one of the primary thoughts, the main thoughts in your mind is, Lord, thank you for your compassion. Thank you that your heart was stirred as you saw me in my lostness. Now I remember you with delight and with thankfulness that you remembered me to that extent as I now remember you in what you did for me. And actually there's one other minor point, it's important in its own right, Um, that word compassion, you see how it says, he had compassion on them. Well, literally it's actually, he had compassion upon them. It's really saying to us, the compassion of Jesus is not something from a distance, something that's uh, moved him inwardly, but he's kept it very distant, very private, it's not something that really had any effect upon themselves or, uh, or led to nothing more than just an attitude of mind on his part towards them. What this is telling us is he had compassion upon them. His compassion came to rest upon them. The compassion, if you like, went out of him and was seen through the actions of what he did next. And the Lord's compassion is not just, uh, not just something in an acting of his mind, not something just theoretical, not something cold and distant from you. It's come to rest upon you. It's come to rest upon you. Compassion of Jesus came upon them. He had compassion upon you. And you come with thankfulness as you realize what that compassion has done for you. That that compassion didn't miss you and didn't pass you by. That Jesus did far more than just look in your direction and pity you but could do nothing about it. His compassion came to rest upon you, to take you and deliver you out of your plight as a sinner, lost and dead. He had compassion upon them. It's a productive compassion, in other words. It doesn't stand at a distance it's, pack, it's a compassion in which Jesus sees as no one else can and in which Jesus reacts as no one else will. That's the compassion of Christ engaged towards these people, this crowd before him. Secondly, we said Christ's compassion is a compassion in action. Because what you find here is really a need beyond the ordinary means of meeting it. I mean, this huge crowd, massive crowd, 5,000 men, it says, besides women and children, and don't listen to the liberal theologians who'll tell you that's just the church making things up. Uh, That's not really to be taken literally. Yes, you take it literally. That's what God is telling us. Otherwise, it's not a miracle. And that's what uh, liberal theology always tries to do, is to take away the, spec- the, the supernatural elements of the Bible. Take away the likes of the miraculous from the Word of God. Here is something you believe happened 
and you believe happened because God is telling you there were 5,000 men there as as well as women and children. That's what Jesus did. He fed that vast crowd. Half the population of Stornoway all gathered there before him and five loaves and two fish. That's all they had. That's all the food they had. And need beyond ordinary means. And that's verse 15. You see he says then the disciples came and said they're looking at it in just merely human terms. We don't blame them for that. That's how you and I would have looked at it. This is a desolate, this is a desert place. The day is far over now, far gone. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. That was how they looked at it. That's their reasoning. That's how they're going to provide for the, the needs of the crowd that they will disperse and go and find, buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, no, there's no need for them to go away. You give them something to eat. You see the way he's leading them, the disciples especially, he's leading them to see something more of himself, more of his ability, more of his stature, more of his identity as to who he is and what he can do. No, he says, you give them something to eat. They said, we have only five loaves here and two fish. That's their response. And then Jesus says, bring them here to me. Now, if you look at these two verses, you can see the word here appears in both verse 17 and verse 18. And when you read it, if you stress these two words each time you read it, he said, they said, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. He is drawing a distinction between how they are seeing things and how he sees things. What they think is possible or necessary and what he knows is possible and necessary. Human resources in verse 17, you could say that's what is indicated by the word here, there, as as Matthew uses the two words very deliberately. Here are human resources. Here is human reasoning. Here is human inability. Here is human lack to meet that great need. And as they look out at it in human terms, using no more than human logic or human understanding, this is what they are saying. We only have here these few loaves and fish. And then he says, bring them here to me. Transfer them from your here To my here, he's saying. Take them from what represents human resources only and your inability and your only human logic. Bring them to me. Put them in my hands. Let me deal with them. Let my wisdom, let my ability deal with the need that you see. That is Christ's response. Bring them here to me. And as you look at verses 19 and 20, that's then how you see the application of Christ's own words in that. He ordered the crowds to sit down, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and they gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They didn't just eat a meager ration. 
They didn't just get something that would do them for a few moments and then they would feed hungry again. They actually had enough to satisfy them. The multiplying by Jesus miraculously of this little that he began with was enough not only to satisfy the crowd, but then to fill these baskets afterwards. Twelve baskets full of the broken pieces that were left. What is that telling us? How do we apply that? What do we take from that this evening in the application of this from here to here? From the here of human resources only, human inability only, human smallness only, to the here of Christ's hands, Christ's blessing, Christ's ability. Well, first of all, we obviously have to place ourselves in his hand. We have to place ourselves by the grace of God as God enables us, but we have to place ourselves in his hand. It has to be a willing placing of ourselves into the hands of Jesus. Not just for once and for all, as we do when we come to him in the first place. That's what we do all along life's journey, all along the Christian journey. Every day you come to pray to him. Every day you begin with your devotions. Every day that you come to read his word and pray to him. What are you doing? You're putting yourself again in his hands. You're saying, Lord, I'm happy that I'm in your hands. I'm satisfied with being under your control. I'm satisfied with the way that you are able to use me, the way I could never do it myself. Your personal development, our personal uh, development as individual Christians, our protection, our growth, and indeed our taking of communion as well, all of these things enter into this great principle of putting yourself in the hands of Jesus. If you look at verse 17 again, that's what many people will say. As they look at themselves and realize that they really ought to be coming to take communion. But haven't yet done so. They love the Lord, but they're hesitant. They measure themselves by others. They think of themselves as inadequate. They see themselves as very small. This is effectively what they're saying. Maybe you're saying that tonight. I have only here five loaves and two fish. How can I possibly go further than this? How can I possibly achieve anything for Christ? How can I possibly come and see myself as worthy to sit at his table with others of his people? Well, you're not and you never will be. But this is not about the worthiness of the disciples or the ability of the disciples. That's the here of verse 17. Which, if it were left at that, would never have provided anything for that crowd. But look at what he's saying in verse 18. Bring them here to me. Are you worried tonight about what will it mean for you if you go to the Lord's table for the first time? Are you worried tonight that perhaps you're not what you were last time you came to the Lord's table? Are you concerned perhaps that you don't see yourself as having grown very much over the period since you last took communion? What is he saying? Bring it here to me. Put it in my hands. Let me deal with it. Let my power, let my ability Take what you see as very small and very insignificant and very inadequate. Let me, he says, be the judge of that. Bring them here to me. Put them in my hands. So you see, friend, if you are here tonight, 
and you are definitely the Lord's and you know that the Lord has changed your life and you're still hesitant because you see yourself as so small and so insignificant compared to others that you see. Bring that to Jesus. Put that in his hand. Let him deal with it. And see what he can make of you. And leave it to him and to his control. Let his creative power. All this reminds us, doesn't it, where he took these loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples then gave them to the crowds. Well, doesn't it remind us really that these are the hands of the Creator? The hands that formed the universe in the first place. Nothing was made without Him. The very bread that He was taking and the fish that He was handling, He had created them in the first place. He knew how far they would go because He brought them into being in the first place. Bring them here to me. Don't let any other voices interrupt that voice, that emphasis. Because that's where your confidence must lie. Bring them to him. Bring yourself, all of yourself. Bring it to the Lord. But then you apply that to your witness as well. As we come to think about outreach and church activities, all the things that we associate with the work of the congregation, work that goes on among our young people and our older people as well, the over 55s, the campaigners, the youth club, um, everything really that, that is in, included in the work of the congregation. Put it all together and what do you do? You put it in his hands. Bring them, he says, here to me. Let's not forget where the blessing, where the multiplication comes from. And we're not just talking, remember, about numerical increase and multiplication in that way, though that is not by any means to be left out of things. We're talking about growth, spiritual growth, moral growth, increase in grace, sanctification. Where does it come from? Does it come from yourself? Does it come from your ability does it come from the excellence of your prayers or for your witness? Of course it doesn't, nor mine. Bring them here to me. Don't take yourself daily to Christ and ask him to multiply your love and your faith and your hope and your aspirations and your efforts. Bring them here to me. Put them in the hands of Jesus. And let's think of this too especially in terms of our children. Our children that are bombarded so much in our day with all kinds of warped teaching. The evil one is abroad in our society trying to take ourselves and particularly our young people away from the truth, away from the truth that guards their lives, truth that really comes from God so that it will shape their lives in a positive and proper and meaningful way. All of you who have teachers need much prayer for you. You're facing challenges that previous generations didn't have. You need to be upheld and guided and directed by God. I'm not saying that because you don't know it. You do, obviously, better than I do. But I know from just even visiting schools from time to time and reading what you read and knowing what you know is going on throughout the country, that our teachers are under huge, huge pressure. And it's very difficult for them to be true to their faith, to God, to Christ, 
in these settings. But thank God for them. And thank God for their dedication. And for their, their being committed to the principles of God's truth. And for these to be applied as much as possible in this society of ours, in this situation of theirs. But remember that our children are also to be placed in the hands of Jesus. Bring them here to me. Put them in my hands. It's not the Sunday school that's going to convert them. It's not the minister speaking to them that's going to convert and change them. It's not any human wisdom that's going to bring their lives to be in the right shape, if, if you like, morally, that conforms to the word of God and to the will of God and to the requirement of God. It's Jesus who does that. He himself shapes our lives. And as we bring our children uh, to be baptized, as we bring our children to Sunday school, to church services, what are we actually saying? Aren't we saying this? Lord, I'm putting them in your hands. doesn't mean we haven't a lot to do ourselves in regard to their teaching or to, to teaching them or to uh, praying for them. Of course, there's a lot of responsibility on us to do that. But above everything else, let's pray. Let's pray that God, that Jesus himself, by his own creative hands, will take these young lives and mold them into his image and make them a power for himself in these years to come. Bring them here to me. Your personal development, our corporate witness, our children. There's so many other things we could add to that. Because this principle really covers all of our Christian lives. Everything you pack into that Christian life, every activity of yourself personally or corporately with others, Bring them, he says, here to me. Let me handle them. Let, be the, let me be the means of multiplying them. Christ's compassion in action. There's a need beyond ordinary means. Bring them here to me. There's one other point I want to make just before I conclude. And it's uh, this way that Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And then he says, we, they say, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And you call it, carry on reading right through. He then looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves, he gave them, and the fish uh, to the, and the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowd. And that's what he was saying to begin with. You give them something to eat. And by Christ's blessing, they had something to give out to the crowds. Tomorrow, you hope to sit at the Lord's table. You come to the Lord's table to be fed spiritually. To find at the Lord's table that food for your soul, that just as this food here satisfied those who ate it, so that food, that spiritual food, and that's nothing less than Christ himself and the benefits of his death, that that will reach into your soul, that you will reach and take these elements and by faith see in them the body and blood of Christ and receive from God the benefits of that death in your salvation, in feeding your soul, in your sanctification, in your being strengthened, in coming to rest again in Jesus himself.
But that's what you anticipate. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Because what you get from the Lord and what we, what I and you together get from the Lord, it's not so that we'll keep it to ourselves. This is what Jesus said to the disciples. You give them something to eat. And they're astonished. Where are we going to find this food? Well, they found this food now. By the blessing of Jesus, it's been multiplied. So what does Jesus do? He gives it to the disciples. They give it to the crowd. If Jesus, as you trust, feeds your soul tomorrow, it's so that you'll go from what you've got and reach out to others with it. Tell what the Lord has done for you. Take of the food that you have received, the benefit that you have received, and seek to feed others with it. Bring it out. Show it. Speak of it. Let it be seen by those who have never been at the table, by those who have never been to a church service, by those who don't know Jesus at all. But they know you. They know what you do every Lord's Day. They know that you're a Christian. They know that you've come to take communion. They'll know that you've done that tomorrow. Give from what you receive. Let it be on your heart to say, now that I've been fed, I need to tell others where they can get feeding too. So there is Christ's compassion engaged and Christ's compassion in action. And may we tomorrow experience again for ourselves that compassion of Christ upon us, resting upon us once again. And may we know of that compassion in action where again he meets our need and demonstrates that we need nothing in addition to what is in himself to feed our souls both now and throughout all eternity. We shall be satisfied with Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give thanks for the spiritual food that you have prepared for your people, for the means that you use to dispense it to. We thank you for your spirit that takes these things of Christ and makes them known to us. And we thank you, Lord, that through your Spirit we have come to feed upon those rich things of the Gospel, and especially of its substance in the Lord himself. We pray for your blessing, Lord, as we anticipate tomorrow coming together to worship you. We pray for your blessing throughout the day. We pray for your blessing upon the day. We pray for your compassion to be experienced once again by us, and for us to be caught up with a sense of great wonder that you have used this occasion once again, that such as we could draw your compassion toward us. Receive our thanks now, we pray, pardoning all our sin for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, let's conclude our service tonight. We're singing in Psalm 37, Psalms 37 in the Scottish Psalter. That's on page 252, verses 3 to 7. Set thou thy trust upon the Lord, and be thou doing good. And so thou in the land shalt dwell, and verily have food. Psalm 37 on page 252. We're singing four verses. The verses mark 3 
to 7. Wow. Uh-huh.